0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, just one of, one, of, one of the great moments of the year is, uh, it's Parsha's Brachis, we're, we're, we're learning about uh, creation, and um, it's just, it's, for me, it's, it's so exciting, just, uh, just, just getting back into the, the inside of the inside of the inside of the inside, because, you know... You know, a lot of times, like in, 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 especially where the Jewish people are at these days, people have certain, certain issues, and they're, they're real issues. I mean, there's not, nothing to joke about, nothing to laugh about. Like, someone will say, well, listen, you know something? You know, I'm in, I'm in love with this person who's not Jewish, and, and I want to marry them, or, or something like that. You know, questions like this. And, and they say, well, you know, can, can you talk to that person? Not, not, that, not that people come up to me, but people come up to other people, and they say, can you talk to them, or what, what should I do, or whatever it is. And if you think at that point the, the the answer is like you know something we have to discuss the importance of Jewish continuity and things like that, forget about it. Forget about it. If if you're gonna have that conversation at all, there's only one place to begin, which is Brashis, bara Elokim es Vesa Arts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because unless you go back to the beginning of the beginning of the beginning, and by the way, before the beginning. <laughs> We, we can't just start with the beginning. We have to go to before the beginning. Because before there was a world, all that existed was God. Right? So a person, if they want to get grounded, if they want to kind of figure out what's going on, what, they have to ask themselves questions before they make real life decisions. Why is there even a world? Right? Remember, I mean, one of the, one of the things that we take for granted is that there's a world. And, and I, I just, it's a bit of a trope for me. I, I just bring it up again and again, because to me it blows my mind every single time, which is that there didn't have to be a world. No one said there had to be a world. So the fact that there's even a world is a mind-blower, right? And the fact that we even exist at all is a mind-blower, right? So many people, because we come from a culture of such... Um, <coughs> Bless you, such self-entitlement. People begin with this premise, which is that this is my life, this is my world, this is what's mine, and now, you know, let's take it from there. And it's sort of like, no, 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 let's not take it from there. (laughs) Let's take it from like 50 steps before that. And then we can talk like human beings with each other, okay? And then if you want to reach the conclusions that you have right now, that's up to you. You have free choice. You know, you, you, you're, you're, that's, that's, that, that's up to you. But at least let's deal on an even playing field and be intellectually honest. Remember, a lot of people, they're making, they're making the types of choices and decisions they're making, not because they're selfish or because they're bad, God, God forbid. It's because people haven't thought things through. They haven't thought things through. And you know, like for instance, let me give you a, a small example. If you want to talk to someone, do you believe in God? Is there a God? Everything like that. That's too heavy. It's it's way too heavy. And it's it's, it's too hard a question for, for most people who haven't considered these ideas. But if you say to a person, do you have a soul? They'll say, what do you mean do I have a soul? Of course I have a soul. Okay, so then what's your soul? Where did your soul come from? Do you think your soul has like a type of reality that will endure beyond your physicality? Okay, so then let's discuss that. What, 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 what does that mean? So that means, is there a concept of eternity? So, so what, what, how do all these things fit together? Then, all of a sudden, a person can begin to piece together, uh, I'll attempt this word, a, a Weltanschauung, I'm sure I mispronounced it, but a worldview. A worldview where all of a sudden they've got like a macro concept of things, right? I mean, this is, the, this is the miracle of science today. Science is, 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 is directing us in two directions in the most amazing ways, which is both levels are where the eye can't see, but which we know is absolutely real. One is the subatomic level, which is it's so small we can't even see it, but we know it's real because we're documenting it. We, you know, if we, if we have a big enough lens, we can see it. And the other is like the astronomical, which again, it's so huge, but it's so beyond us. But it's so enormous, and we know that that's real too. So the, the reality is, is that it never stops because the world itself is infinite. And, and, and science is showing us, it, you know. Remember, Torah is explaining all of the whys, science is explaining all the hows. That's, that's, that's the difference. And you can have, Einstein said it, you can have one without the other, right? He said that science without religion, let's, let's rewrite them a little bit, you know? Science without Torah is lame. That's what he said. You know what lame means? Lame means not like people use it today. That's so lame, right? <laughs> Although it's sort of, it's, that's also true, right? But lame means it can't walk, you know? Because everything has a body and a, and a soul. There's a there's an outside and an inside, and then there's the inside to the inside. And as we know, chesedus, right? Chesedus is the inside of the inside, right? You can't you can't function without it. You can't, especially in today's day and age, where secular culture has gotten so deep, right? Because science, which, you know, a lot of people see it as. See, the irony is, is that a lot of people have taken on science as religion while they're simultaneously rejecting religion. That's the joke. That's the joke. Because they're making a religion out of science while simultaneously they're thinking, they're so smart that they're rejecting religion. But they're just <laughs> believing in science. So in other words, they're just setting up, another, uh, setting up another God, another, you know what I'm saying? So, but anyway, that aside, that aside. They both work together and we need them both. Okay. So now let's get to... In other words, the, what, I'm, what I'm trying to communicate is the importance of going back to the beginning. That a person can't begin to comprehend their life, they can't begin to comprehend the world, they can't begin to comprehend the difficult choices that we have to make unless we're asking the biggest, biggest, biggest questions. And you know, I was sitting with someone who is so smart and so special years and years ago, and they were trying to piece together to me, they were telling me like, what they think and everything like that and what they had come up with and and i just i just had this moment where it was sort of like you know it was like dude you know we've got thousands of years of tradition geniuses building on geniuses building on geniuses you know based on prophecy based on the highest based on direct communications from god and you're sitting down and trying to make up a, a theory on your own without drawing on like like the treasure of wisdom that's been handed down what's going on why are you why are you cutting yourself off from that you don't think anyone came up with anything worth thinking about you you have to piece it together right i mean but that's that is sort of like the irony of the self-empowerment movement mm-hmm. right it's making dummies out of us right mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, to to a certain extent, and I mean this in the most sympathetic way. Believe me, I'm not I'm not ridiculing. I'm just sort of just pointing out this this sort of heartbreaking irony, which is sort of like, no, no, no just in the, in the in the attempt to empower someone, it's sort of like, no, 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 no. You come up with all the reasons why the world are created. No, no, you do it. You do it, really, because out of respect to you, right, who was educated what at P.S. what, right, you know. <laughs> Really, we want to know, like, but, huh? No, please, a little humility, right? Some, some humility to recognize, like, the greatness that preceded us. Remember, you know, I, and I always somehow make this connection in my mind, I'll bring it out, which is that Rebbe Nachman said that since the beginning we've been struggling with sex, food, and money, Right? all of humanity has been wrestling with these three major forces and so when you think about the ancients please don't don't think of them as some like weird fictionalized what they were struggling with the identical things that you are struggling with right they just had like a different wardrobe that's all Right? And they also struggled over their wardrobe, too. You know what I mean? Like, like, they stood in front of the closet and say, you know, I don't have anything to wear. Meanwhile, they're like, nine togas, right? Uh, so how is that any different from any of us, right? <laughs> so it's just, you know, you just change the labels, that's all. So, so it's, 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 it's the, like, Shlomo Amela, King Solomon, said, there's nothing new under the sun. That means that, that the human condition has been essentially the same from the very beginning. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. And then we have to just sort of like respect that, you know? So, so now let's, uh, let's get into Brachis. Um And, um, and, and the truth is, is that before we get into Brashis, I just want to say a couple of Torahs. One, one Torah, which just meant so much to me, we said we were saying it um Simchus Torah night. Of course, everybody knows Simchus Torah is when we finish the Torah and then we begin it again. And uh, it's it's big, you know, it's it's really big. And and the great uh, the great teaching from the Kutzka Rebbe, right? Everyone's jumping and dancing and celebrating Simchus Torah night, dancing with the Torahs, and the Kutzka Rebbe emerged from his study and you know, everyone was like, you know, stopped. And he said, What are we celebrating right now? And so, you know, the the standard answer would be, we're finishing the Torah, right? And he said, no, 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 that's not it at all. What we're celebrating is that we're getting to the end of the Torah and realizing that we haven't even begun it yet. Mm -hmm. Right? That's, That's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the fact that the Torah itself is infinite because it's the wisdom of God, and the wisdom of God is infinite. So, so... We have a unique thing, the night of Simcha's Torah, which is we read the Torah at night. Now, we don't, we don't finish it yet, and this is the Ashkenazi custom. We, we, we read the Torah at night, and it's, it's very deep because it's the only time all year, the only time ever, that we're reading the Torah at night. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, so I wanted to say it like this. Now, remember, the next day, Right? Still some chus Torah, but in the morning we're going to complete the Torah and begin again. Right? So, I wanted to say like this, which is that what are we doing when we're reading the Torah at night? What's going on exactly? Night represents hard times. And what we're doing is we're filling the night with light. Mm -hmm. Meaning to say, Do you know how much strength a person needs to begin again? Right? So before we even have the strength to start the Torah over again, which really means, you know, going back into our life and being able to just find the strength to to try again, right? Hashem has us take out the Torah at night and to fill the night with light, to give us that strength. So, so then, you know, what's what's so beautiful is that the last letter of the Torah is a Lamed, and then the first letter of the Torah is a Be'ez, and that spells lave, which is heart. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so cool, because what is the circulatory system of the body is that the heart pumps blood to the whole body. And here you see, like, like this moment where it's sort of like the left chamber of the heart and the right chamber of the heart, right? Like the Lamid so to speak, which is... Now, remember, what does Lamid mean? Lamid is the tallest letter, right? And uh, it stands for lomod Ulamayid, to teach and to learn, right? Because when we're learning, we're learning in order to be able to teach and to do Right? It's all all together. Like like for us, learning is not academics. It's not just, okay, now I know this thing. Because if you think you ever know something, and hopefully we'll have time to get into this later, if you think you ever know something, that's usually the surest sign that you don't know it at all. Right? So, So so we take our capacity to understand, to do and to perform, not just to learn, but to learn and to do. And then that propels us, we use that force that propels us into the bays of brashi, right but it's not a circle, it's not a circle it's like it's like a quantum level up. In other words, we in other words, the new torah that we're learning this year is not just a retread of the Torah that we learned last year because now we've got a whole nother year of Torah study that we're drawing on, right. And also, I'm sure that this is true, and there's stories like this. It's a great story about Yosef Kara, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, who was also a Kabbalist in Svat, and, um, you know, about a, a, a problem, a Torah problem that he was working on that was so difficult, and he, he just, uh, he worked on it till I think he fainted, right? I mean, really, it really was something that he put literally all of his energy into. And he got the answer, and he was so happy. And then he walked into the base medrash, right into the study hall, and he saw two people who, you know, relative to his greatness, were just kind of like, you know, average people. You know, I'm sure they were great in their own right, but relative to him, they were, you know, more ordinary. And he sees one asks himself the the, the question that he had been working on, and the other one just gave the answer (laughs) straight out. And he couldn't believe it. He was like, what's going on? And then it was explained to him that no, you brought that answer into the world. Amen. You see? You see, that's, that's what it is. So when, when we go to the next year, to the next level of Torah study, it's not just that we're now relearning the Torah with all the extra Torah knowledge that we have, but on some level all of our minds and souls are connected. And all of the great people have brought down so much extra wisdom into the world so that the new cycle of Torah study is a quantum level higher, because now we're drawing consciously and unconsciously on all of the new wisdom that's been, all the new light that's been drawn down into the world, okay? Okay. So now, you know, I want to say one thing that came to me while I was dancing uh, Simchus Torah night, and... Is it true, is it not true? I, I, I don't know. But um, it just... It, it, I just like to suggest it, you know, which is every single person is a letter in the Torah, right? We know there's 600,000 Jews and our Masorah, our tradition is there's 600,000 letters in the Torah. And um, how you calculate that is a whole question because the exact number of letters, if you just want to count the whole letters, there's way less than 600,000. So how do you get to the number 600,000 exactly? So the truth is is that most letters are actually the combination of different letters, right? If you you actually look at the laws of writing the letters in a Torah scroll, you see that letters are combinations of other letters, okay? Um, For instance, the letter um, uh, Kuf, right, is a Zion, and the letter Chaf, right? Or it's actually it's a, it's a race. I'm sorry, it's a race and a Zion. Okay, so that's an example. That's one example. Okay, um, so that's one way to get to six hundred thousand. Another way to get to six hundred thousand is you count actually the white spaces between the letters. Mm. <laughs> All right, because and we'll get to that more a little bit later. And that that's another way of getting to the uh, because listen if. This is, this is a, a very interesting halacha. If two letters overlap, the Torah scroll is not kosher. Okay? The whole Torah scroll is not kosher. Just two letters overlap. You know why? Because the white space in between has been violated. Wow. See? That, that, that white space is also something. You know? You know, it's sort of like the boundaries between people are also holy. You know? They're also holy. You know, like it says in um, Kehelis, there's a time to embrace and there's a time not to embrace. Right? And they say that one level of that is tahar's Hamishpacha, right? The loss of family purity. But it's, it's, it's more than that, too. It's a time to embrace and a time not to embrace. That that white space between, between the letters or between the people, that's also holy. So, so anyway... Um so I just want to tell you what just kind of the idea that came to me while dancing was that so let's say each one of us is a letter in the Torah. My name is David, so let's say I'm a Dalit, right? Who knows? But let's say I'm a Dalit. So maybe the question is, which Dalit? <laughs> right? And that's true for all of us. And I was thinking maybe when you're dancing like depending on because you know to be the big Dalit of Echad, Shmaya Yisrael, Hashem Hashem Echad, that Dalit is big. <laughs> to be the big Dalit of Echad, wow, oh, got chills just thinking about it. that would that would be something, you know. Um, so maybe maybe which letter you are is determined of how much how high you rise through the dance, through the simchah and the joy, right? I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. Okay. So now I want to I want to talk about the first uh, I want to talk about the first pasuk of the Torah, and um, and and bring out something. So, so as we said, the very first verse of the Torah is in the beginning, right? That's how it's classically translated, but. I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai that really it means with beginnings. In other words, out of the fabric of beginnings, God created this, the heavens and the earth. Meaning to say that the fabric of reality itself is literally made out of beginnings. It's just all of, all of, all of reality is literally just one beginning going into another beginning, going into another beginning. That, that's the essence. that's the truth. And, uh, so, so the very first verse of the Torah is, in English we would say, with beginnings God created the heavens and the earth, right? And in Hebrew, that's breishis bara Elokim es ha ve'es ha Okay, that's seven words. That's seven words. Now, why is that significant? And we're going to talk about numbers right now, but let me just give you a, um, Just an introduction, very briefly, before I say anything about more about numbers. When we're talking about numbers in Torah, the numbers themselves are not significant. Don't get hung up, bless you. Don't get hung up on the numbers. We don't have lucky numbers, right? The idea is that a number is a is the shorthand for a philosophical concept. Do you understand? So when I say that the opening verse of the Torah has seven words, right? That seven is significant, not because it's the number seven, who cares? It's because seven means something in Torah philosophy, okay? So what does it mean? It means order. It means structure. It means nature. Nature meaning the nature of the world. The fact that there's a set order to creation. And so it makes sense that if God is creating the world, right? And remember, keep in mind, before the world existed, there was the infinity of God, right? Like God did not create himself and the world simultaneously. <laughs> there was God, and then God creates the world, right? So, so that's, the, that's the creation of order itself. But now I want to say something deeper. And, and, and just one more thing on order. If a person, God forbid, even a holy person, jumps in front of a speeding car, they will get hit and, God forbid, they will die. Meaning to say that the order of the world has to be respected. Right? When we talk about derecheretz, that means that you don't, like, you know. You, You behave with seichel. You have to use your mind when you interact with people and when you interact with the world. Right? So so, so order has to be respected. Okay, that's number one. But now I want to say something deeper, which is that the first letter of the Torah, and remember the Torah itself is the blueprint of reality. It says God looked into the Torah and then he created the world. And we know the Talmud says that the Torah existed... 974 generations before the world was created, right? So, so the Torah is the blueprint of reality. So what is the first letter of the Torah? It's the letter Beis. But it's not just the letter Bays; It's a large base. Now, what's interesting about this, and, and I learned this from Rabbi Wolfson Shlita, who said it in the name of the Chasm Sofer, who's one of our greatest rabbis, right, from the from the 1800s, really a massive, huge, you know, towering giant in Torah. Mm-hmm. And he said the following, that whenever you see a large letter in the Torah, it's four times the gematria that the letter would normally be. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that means that if the letter Bez is the number two, right, because Olive Bays, it's the second letter of the, the alphabet, uh, the, the, the alphabet. So it would be four times two. Do you understand? Because it's a large letter. So that means that the opening of the Torah begins with the number eight. Okay, so now let's we got to work this through because this is a big idea. Meaning to say the first verse of the Torah is seven words. That's hinting at order. And yet, the very first letter of the Torah, which everything is balanced on, because you can balance the entire Torah itself on the first letter of the Torah, right? Is the number eight. Now, what does eight stand for? Eight stands for transcendence. Eight stands for that which is beyond nature. Eight stands for miracles, right? Like we know Hanukkah is eight days, right? And one of my favorite little just visualizations is the... The, the symbol for infinity is the number eight on its side, right? So what does that mean? That means that there's an order to this world, and we have to respect it, but that the premise of that order is that order can be transcended at any single moment. <laughs> and they're both true at the same time. And they're both true at the same time. That means there's a whole series of locked doors, right? And that's life. It's a whole series of locked doors. But at the same time, you're handed a key before you start your journey. So, so that's, and, and, and how do we utilize that? So how do we utilize that? Okay. So, remember, the art of Torah the art of life, the art of, 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 of mastering the human condition is the ability to live amidst paradox where both things are the opposite and simultaneously true. Right? Remember, God is infinite and we're only dwelling in one dimension of reality where certain things appear to us to be contradictory or paradoxical. But that's just because we have something called logic. But don't forget, God invented logic. (laughs) We have to respect logic, but on a deeper level, logic is completely made up. (laughs) And God is not imprisoned to logic. Logic is just a tool that he created for us to interact with each other. Right? So things that seem to be paradoxical... In our dimension, in the higher dimensions, are not paradoxical at all because those dimensions transcend logic. Or what we call them, they're super rational, right? They're, they're beyond the confines of our mind, right? And again, these things are not, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying and don't, don't mislearn what I'm saying. That's not to undermine our respect for logic, right? But we have to understand that even that has, in the appropriate context, certain limitations. That's, that, that's what it is, that's what it is. So now, so how do you, so how do you get through life, right? So Rebbe Nachman, Reb Shlomo said in the name of Rebbe Nachman, and um, I urge everybody to get an unbelievable book that uh, Zivi Ritchie put out um, a couple of years ago. It's a collection of uh, teachings of Reb Shlomo teaching Rebbe Nachman. Wow. And it's called Rebbe Nachman Says dot dot dot. And you can go on the internet and you can get that book and it's a it's a gem. So in the beginning of Rebbe Nachman Says, Reb Shlomo says in the name of Rebbe Nachman, every person has to learn how to do these things. Every person has to learn how to stand. Every person has to learn how to walk every person has to learn how to fall and every person has to learn how to get back up. And then he says what happens if a person is falling and they can't get back up? They're falling and they're falling and they're falling and they can't get back up. And he says what a person is supposed to do at that point is to keep on walking. And if they keep on walking and they don't stop walking They will realize that they never fell at all. Mm -hmm. So, I think that to me is a life saving teaching. And just a companion teaching that goes with that is that I heard it, I learned it from Shlomo Katz in the name of the Geir Rebbe, who said that when Hashem told Avraham Avinu, Abraham, our father, Lech Lecha, to go, right, that really he was telling it to every Jew for all times, don't stop moving, don't stop moving, don't stop moving. Even if everything's falling apart, don't stop moving. And like Rabbi Nachman says, if a person honors that and it finds the strength to keep on going, then they'll realize they never fell at all. So, so I want to go further Um, so the Ramban says in his introduction to the Torah, he says amazing things, one of the things that he says is that the entire Torah is one long name of God (laughs) right and that when the Torah was given initially it was given in one utterance right one long name of God unbelievable, right now listen to this, this is something I think that's kind of cool that came to me one time which is that, um, you know, we have this word called mila, right? As in bris mila. So, what's a bris mila? Also known as a circumcision, that's when you cut a, a piece of skin from the man, right? So, so mila means to cut. But you want to hear something really interesting? Mila in Hebrew also means the word word. So, understand that if the, the Torah was one long name of God. Every time you cut, what happened? You made a word. You made a new word. (laughs) Interesting? Right? So, 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 the Torah begins with the letter Bays, And that's, that's phenomenal. And there are a lot of teachings about the letter Bays, but, um, I'll just tell you just two of them. Which is that, you know, the Torah goes from, what is it? That's my right hand, from right to left, right? The Torah goes from right to left. And if you make the letter bays, that means that there's a wall over here. And they say that basically you can go back, you can go back a long way, but at a certain point you hit a wall. Mm-hmm. You hit the wall of the bays of Breshis, of With Beginnings. And we don't know. We don't know what happened before the world was created. Even science will tell you. You can even get to the moment of the Big Bang, but before that, scientifically speaking, we just we, we that that point you run out of answers, right? So so we have to again. That's 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 a, a that's a teaching for us about humility. That that at a certain point we just simply don't know right? And But we've been taught right, by God himself, right? But we have to understand the, the, the limitations of our own faculties. Now, another interesting teaching about the base of Rishis is that you've got a top to it. You've got that wall that we just were talking about where you can't go further back than that. You've got a base. You've got a bottom to it. But then you've got an opening over here, right now Now listen to this. What is that opening doing there? Because it, you know, if you're going to close it up, why not just close it up all the way? Right? Now we know that's another letter. That would be the final mem, right? But that's a, that's beside the point. It's like you're closing it up on three sides, so close it up on the fourth side. That's the question. So this is from Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac Haver who was a great Kabbalist, and he was a student of the student of the Vilna Gon, who was one of our greatest Kabbalists, in addition to, obviously, you know, one of our greatest uh, Talmudists ever. So um, he had sort of the Kabbalistic tradition from the Ari through the Vilna Gon. So Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haver says the following, before I tell you what he says, let me throw in one more thing that the Ramban brings down. So the Ramban brings down in his introduction to the Torah that the whole Torah is black fire on white fire. So what does that mean, black fire on white fire? So the first thing it means is that don't make the mistake of thinking that the paper that the Torah is written on or the parchment that the Torah is written on doesn't have spiritual integrity to itself. It also has great spiritual importance, like we were saying earlier, that if one of the white spaces is violated, that the Torah itself is not kosher anymore. So the white space is like very heavy and very important. And in fact, there's a teaching that the white space in the Torah contains all the letters of the Torah. Okay, so that's that's starting to get far out. But what what does it actually mean? What it means on a very simple level is the black fire represents, those are the letters that we can see, the black fire represents that which is revealed in this world. Right? The white fire represents the spiritual realms that the whole world is juxtaposed against. Okay? So now with that in mind, listen to this. Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac Haber says, okay, it's true, the base has three sides. Why doesn't it have a fourth side? Because that fourth side stands for the reward that the righteous receive in this world, And that's not revealed. Does everyone hear that? That's that's a massive... I mean, he's just looking at the same letter base as you and I are looking at. And he's telling you something way out. Meaning to say, remember, our tradition is that the reward that we receive, for the most part, there's some exceptions to this rule, but for the most part, the reward that we receive is saved up for the next world. And, of course, that, that brings the great question that everyone has, why does it look like the wicked are rewarded and the righteous suffer? This is the great theological question that everyone has, right? Well, the simple answer is, I don't know if it's satisfying, especially if someone's righteous and they're suffering, but the simple answer is that the reward is safe for the next world, for the most part. But this being one of the central questions of the human condition, fascinatingly, is asked and answered with the very first letter of the Torah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's amazing. When we say that the Torah is the blueprint of reality, the greatest question that people have had for all eternity is asked and answered by the first letter of the Torah. Meaning to say, why isn't it all closed in? Because... That last line represents the reward that the righteous will receive, and it's not revealed in this world yet, because it's still on the level. It's there, but it's on the level of white fire. It's not on the level of black fire yet. Now, with that in mind, with that in mind, I looked at the last letter of Breshis. Okay, so this is my Torah now, right? You know what it is? A final mem. You know what that means? If Breshis is a microcosm of all of creation, the book of Breshis, what happens at the very last moment of Breshis? What happens at the end of the world? The reward that the righteous receive becomes revealed. Right? Because what's, what's a base with that line filled in? It's a final mem. That's the last letter of the book of, of, of creation. It becomes revealed. So with that in mind, I can't not tell you this teaching... Right, which is that the very first three words of the Torah, Breshis, bara elohim, if you take the last three letters of the first three words, it spells the word emes, which means truth. We say that's the the stamp of creation, right? But it's spelled out of order. So you say, well, look, if God is bringing out this concept of truth, why is he spelling the word truth out of order? Especially since we know that the whole word truth is significant because it's the first letter of the olive base, Aleph, it's the middle letter of the olive base, Mem, and it's the last letter of the olive base, Tough. In other words, total context, beginning, middle, and end. You know, one of the reasons why we're judging each other so harshly all the time is because we're forgetting the fact that this person didn't just show up crazy He had like 10, 20, 30 years to get super crazy. (laughs) Right? Like if he's just like yelling in a bank, he's not just like completely inappropriate. He may be also completely inappropriate, but he may have just had the worst thing happen. You don't know. So we need, if you want truth, you need context. So the word for truth itself is context. Beginning letter, middle letter, end letter. Right? So But it's out of order. Now, if you get to the end of the seventh day of creation, right, the last three words, the last three letters of the last three words, Aleph Mem Taf. It spells out Emes, but it spells it out in its proper order. Because that is the journey that we're all on right now. Truth has been implanted in this world from the very, very beginning, and our job is to reveal the truth that's there, right? Through our actions, we're, so to speak, rearranging the letters, right? Or we're, re- we're revealing in the deepest way what's there. Okay. So now, now that we've talked about that base, let's, let's go maybe even deeper and talk about the fact that who, who begins something with the number two, right? If you're going to talk about, like, the beginning of all beginnings... Let's begin with the number one. What is this business? You're, build, you're, you're, you're doing the number two. Right? So that's because we have to know it begins with the letter bays, because the letter Aleph is there, but the letter Aleph is there, which stands for God because Aleph is one, right? And everybody knows Aleph is composed of three letters, two Yuds and a Vav, which adds up to 26, which is the gematria of Yudke Vavke, the holiest name of God, right? So the letter Olive, that's part of the white fire. right So we have to know that before this world was created, God existed before this world was created. And very um, interestingly or appropriately, every volume of Talmud, right because the Torah scroll, that's the written law, then we've got the oral law, that's the Talmud, every page, every volume of Talmud begins on page two.. Mm. It never begins on page one, right? Because the first thing that you have to know, the beginning of all wisdom is the awareness, is the awe of God. You have to know that you're the letter Beis. If you think it all begins with you, <laughs> then brother, we have to have a conversation, right? But the Sahara will tell you that it all begins with you. Because one of the most amazing teachings that I know, I heard from Reb Shlomo, the name of the Beis Yaakov, who is the second Ishbitzer Rebbe, that deep, 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 deep down, every single person thinks they created themselves. Right? Now, you know intellectually, you know a thousand percent that's not true. You know for a fact that's not true. And yet, the Beis Yaakov says, deep, 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 deep down, every single person thinks they created themselves. Right, So this is something, this is again part of the human condition, part of the great battle for us to recognize the fact that something preceded us. But it's a blessing. Because a person can't live without humility. A person can't live without humility. And um, you know it says by gaiva, gaiva means arrogance. So it says in the Talmud that that God says that, that Gaiva smells, so to speak, so terribly, that God says, I can't be around a person who has arrogance. But think about that in the context of what we just learned. Because that means, God says, how can I be the Aleph if you're telling me that you're the Aleph? <laughs> okay, so you be the Aleph. You be the Aleph, because I can't, there can't be two Alephs. <laughs> okay, so you be the Aleph. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go over here. You know? So, and, and like, I always think it's important to say, humility does not mean low self-esteem. A person has to have high self-esteem. Right? High self-esteem. But also humility. Right? So, what's, how do you do that? By not attributing power to yourself that you don't have. But also, not hiding or being unrealistic about the power that you do have, right? One of the, I think, great traps of the religious mindset is an escapist mentality that has to be crushed if a person really wants to be for real, which is not leaving to God what God has left for you to do. And that's really, that is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment bit of self-examination. That a person has to do, right? Where under the guise of "quote unquote" being religious, you're leaving to God what God wants you to do, right? It's a big Sahara. It's a big Sahara, and this is—I mean—I'm talking about now. You, when a person is able to explore that, they really can begin to climb real levels in terms of realization of their own potential in this world, in this world, right? Um. So now let's go further. So the Aleph, the olive precedes the base. And, uh, you know, do you know how big that Aleph is? <laughs> it's not like, it's not like, okay, so you got an olive and you got a base. They look pretty similar to me. <laughs> no. That olive, wow. What is that olive? That olive. And don't, and don't make this mistake, right? I heard this from Rabbi Green, such a strong teaching. He says, you know what most people think? Again, this is mostly unconscious because we haven't examined it. And if we haven't examined it, then we haven't been able to have the opportunity to uproot it. And I'm telling you this so that we can all uproot it. Most people think that God is a stronger, smarter, better version of me or of themselves, right? They use themselves as a reference point, and they say, but God's just like the greatest, greatest, like way better than me. God is beyond, 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 beyond. He's not a better version than you. It's, it's dimensions, dimensions, dimensions beyond, right? Our mind can't even begin to begin to wrap our mind around. All right. So now I want to start to wrap it up and tell you something. One of the, uh, one of the, uh, I would say, um, I don't know how to, what word even to use. I want to say traps, but but it's more than that. Part of the journey, if you want to learn Torah, especially if you want to learn Torah deeply, is. Um, Uh, I'll just use this as a case study, okay? You see, sometimes you ask a question and then you give an answer. You know, usually we say the questions are better than the answers. (laughs) That's That's often the case. But a lot of times the answers are really good too. And sometimes the answers are so good, you forget that it's the answer to a question because you're just freaking out about the answer. It's so good. And you don't make the next step, which is, no, that's actually answering a question. You know, it's sort of like, imagine like whatever your favorite work of art is, right? So whoever your favorite artist is, and you ask a question, and someone puts this unbelievable canvas in front of your face, and all you can think about is this this painting, which is just blowing your mind, and you forget that this was the answer to to a question because you're just so into this painting, right? So, so, with that in mind, I asked Rip Shlomo a question many, many years ago. And he gave me an answer, which so blew my mind, I've been saying the answer over for years. But I, only the other day did I realize that that was an answer to the question that I was asking. So so with that in mind let's uh let's um, let's uh let's explore it okay So so I asked him how does a person stay on fire See because because when When you begin to explore these type of questions, really, your your, your whole soul gets on fire, and you're on fire, you know? But then, more often than not, the fire starts to get a little smaller, a little smaller, a little smaller, and then who knows what's going to happen next. So anyway, I said, how does a person stay on fire? And he said back to me the following, he says, a person has to treat each new piece of information that they learn like one puzzle piece in a jigsaw puzzle that they don't have any of the other pieces to. So, so I thought about that, that imagery of just having one puzzle piece, but you don't have any of the other pieces. And I thought, wow, that's so interesting, because, you see, most people, when they learn something new, they think they've just gotten smarter. <laughs> they're very dangerous. <laughs> they're very, very dangerous. And then, since now they're so smart, because since they learned so many new things, now it's sort of like Brother Arrogance walks in, you know? <laughs> puts his arm around you, (laughs) takes you out for lunch, (laughs) picks up the bill. (laughs) Right? So, 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 but, so he was saying that how do you avoid the trap of learning and becoming arrogant if every time you learn something new, it's an invitation to how much more you don't know Right? Because, you know, like, can you imagine like someone, uh, someone gives you, you know, I have, I have a trillion dollar bill. I do. It's real. It's from, I, I don't know which country it's from. I think it's from Uganda. You can get one. Go on the internet. You can, you can buy for $5. You can buy your own trillion dollar bill. It's weird. It's like, it's a trillion dollars. I don't, it's, anyway. So, (laughs) so, so, so if each new thing that you learn is simultaneously, it's new, and now I know something I didn't know before, but simultaneously, it's this, this sort of like um, invitation to humility. Because you realize this is just one One thing of a a larger thing, and I don't know all the other pieces. Where this leads? What's the what the, what, what, what? 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 This is attached to, right? I didn't even know that there was a puzzle that I didn't have the other pieces to. Now that I've got this new piece, I'm finding out. Oh, there's a whole new puzzle. I don't even have any of the pieces to. Rabbi Nachman says that at each new level of knowledge. A person has to realize that they know nothing. But this is the hardest thing to do because at the very moment that you know something, how can I know nothing at the very moment that I know How can I know nothing at the very moment that I know something? So Reb Shlomo is solving this problem by telling you that if each thing you learn is one puzzle piece and you don't have any of the other puzzle pieces Then you keep it in perspective. Okay, so now Let's get back to why I brought this up to begin with. Because my mind was just like exploding over this jigsaw puzzle metaphor for like basically the last 20 plus years. I've been just like listen out on this jigsaw puzzle piece of imagery, you know? And I didn't realize that actually that was just the answer to a question that I had asked. What was the question that I asked? I asked, how does a person stay on fire? That's the answer he gave me to how does a person stay on fire? So you know how you stay on fire? You have to stay in a state of not knowing. Right? Now let's go back to the Garden of Eden. What happened when we ate from the Tree of Knowledge? It brought death into the world. You see? When you think, and I heard Rip shalom say it, when you think in a relationship, you know the other person, oh, I know you so I know you what you're gonna say, I know how you're gonna react. That's the death of a relationship. Right? When you're filled with that level of knowledge, that, that, that tree of knowledge level of knowledge, it's it's done at that point. I mean, you can maybe get it back. But at that, at that moment, it's, it's the taste of death. When Reb Shlomo married me and my wife, he blessed the two of us. We should always surprise each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because when you're being surprised, then you realize, I don't know. Well, you did that? Oh, that's a- unbelievable. I didn't know you were going to do that. That's, that's life. That's life entering into the relationship. So you want to have a living relationship with God you want to stay on fire, you have to realize that if you're the bays, do you know how big that olive is? <laughs> and it's not just a bigger version of you. you it's not like I basically don't know what's going to happen next. I have no idea what's going to happen next. I have, no, I, I have no conception. I have no conception. Okay. Yeah.